I'm going to make a bold statement right now. If you are a born-again believer submitted to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, then you are just as beloved of the Father as Jesus, the firstborn son. Is that hard to believe? I'll prove it on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. This revelation of the love of the Father toward you, if you have been born again and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, is one of the most empowering insights that I could ever convey to you. And I guarantee you it will carry you through any trials or tribulations you might face in your future and cause you to walk victoriously as you go through the coming year. So let's get into it. In Romans chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, Paul reveals that the church is referred to by God as his beloved. And he quotes out of Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Let me read the Romans 9 verse right now. In verse 25, Paul said that God spoke through the prophet Hosea, making this declaration, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. The next verse says, And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There shall they be called the sons of the living God. Now, on one level, God was speaking about Israel being dispersed into all the world because of their sin, because of their rebellion against God and how God would restore them. And the whole story of Hosea the prophet is a revelation of that. We may get into that in a future program. But on the next level is a reference to the Gentile world that is outside of a covenant relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not God's people, and they are not beloved in a very intimate connection with God. But God said, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. Let me give you the original verse in Hosea in the New Living Translation version. At that time, God said, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved, and to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people, and they will reply, you are our God. That's the original verse in Hosea. And then, of course, we just quoted what Paul said in 9, the ninth chapter of Romans, verses 25 and 26. Now, let me show you how Jesus, the firstborn son, is referred to as the beloved in Scripture in two different ways. First of all, The bride in the Song of Solomon refers to the bridegroom, which is a symbolic story representing the bride of Christ and the eternal bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
she refers to the bridegroom as her beloved. Let me give you a few places, or at least two. For instance, in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verse 5, the choir of the Song of Solomon says, Who is this coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? And it's capital letter B, beloved. Leaning upon her beloved. And you get this picture of a woman coming up out of a wilderness area, leaning on the shoulder of a beloved bridegroom. And that's really a picture of you and me. This world is a wilderness world. Just like the children of Israel passed through the wilderness of sin for 40 years, we've been passing through the wilderness of sin our entire lifetime. I, from And not only prior to salvation, but since salvation. We've been buffeted on every side, mentally and emotionally and spiritually. But we are coming up out of the wilderness, and we've learned to lean on the arm of our beloved. And then the bride, in response to what the choir says, in verse 7 of chapter 8 of the Song of Solomon, says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. In other words, she was saying, I have a love relationship with this bridegroom that is so deep, that is so strong, I don't care if the enemy comes in like a flood. And mentally and emotionally, I feel like I'm drowning. Still, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. In other words, this is my survival mechanism. This is how I survive this wilderness world. By the revelation of the love that God has toward me and the love that I have toward him in a response and then in Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 3, the bride says, and I quote this quite often, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. In fact, I have a ring that I wear uh, that has that very statement on it in Hebrew. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Elizabeth, my wife, has a matching ring and we exchange those rings just a few feet away from the grave of resurrection, right where Jesus was buried there in Jerusalem. And I speak it on two levels. Just about every morning, I'll pick up my ring, put it on, and quote that scripture, Song of Solomon 6.3, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. And I mean it on two levels. It's a recommitment of my love for Elizabeth and our union, our covenantal relationship, but I also say it upward toward him, that I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And so that's a position and a title that I daily remind him of, that he is my beloved. But in response, he wants us to know that we are his beloved. And let me give you the scriptures that relate to that. But first, let me remind you that the father used this terminology toward the Son when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. The voice of the Father spoke loudly and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to notice something. Jesus had not preached any sermons yet, as far as we know, except when he talked with the doctors in the temple, the doctors of theology in the temple when he was 12 years old. 
he had not performed any miracles yet. He had not delivered anyone from a demonic power yet. He had not done any of the quote-unquote religious works that he was sent to accomplish. And yet the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not I will be, but I am well pleased because he was beloved, not just because of what he would do when he came to the world, but who he was, his identity. And you are beloved of the father, not because of what you do. You're not earning his love by religious works. You're beloved of the Father because of who you are, the sons and daughters of God. And the outgrowth of that relationship are all the works that you perform for his glory and in his name. Now we get to the powerful point of what I wanted to share today. I was driving through West Virginia many years ago on my way to some revival meeting. It was late at night, about 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And as I was driving, I was meditating on the love of God. I was all alone uh, going to this particular meeting. And I was just thinking about the love that God has toward us. And my mind drifted toward John chapter 17, which is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's the chapter that records Jesus' intercessory prayer for the church in the coming new covenant. And listen to what he said in verses 23 and 24. He's talking about our relationship with him and how the words he said earlier on in the prayer, he said, the words you've given me, I have given them. He said, I pray not for the world, but for those you've given me out of the world. And he said, the glory, Father, that you've given me, I have given them. And then he said, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That exploded in my spirit, and I realized right there, Jesus said he wanted the world to know that the church, the born-again people of God in the new covenant, were just as beloved of the Father as he was. He said, I've given them the words you've given me. I've given them the glory you've given me that the world might know that you have loved them as you have loved me. Wow, that's incredible that you and I are just as loved of the Father as Jesus, the firstborn son. But it goes a little further because the next verse, Jesus said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. There's so much rich revelation in that statement. First of all, he certainly wasn't talking physically. He wasn't saying, Father, I want all those you've given me to be gathered together to this physical location. He was praying most likely in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is right before he faced the cross, he wasn't asking for a gathering of believers to that physical location, but to a spiritual place he occupied of intimacy with the Father in a love relationship with the Father, love flowing from the Father to him, love flowing from him to the Father. 
And he said, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. If he prayed that you and I would be loved of the Father just as he was, that means you were loved by God before you got here. From the foundation of the world, you have been beloved of the Father. Think of that. And he made this declaration right before he faced his cross. And I guarantee you, it was the thing that carried him through the horror of what he was about to face. And it's the thing that will carry us through any horrible things that happen in our lives or that yet await the world as a whole in the future. Think of that. That's just absolutely incredible. So he wants us to be with him in a place of intimacy with the Father, acceptance by the Father. He wants us to be in a position of authority over the enemy, authority over sin and sickness and satanic powers, authority even over death, hell, and the grave. Wow, that's his position of authority. And he says, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am in this position of intimacy with the Father and authority over the arch enemies of the human race, a place of total victory. And it's all about love. It's all about love because that's what the major emphasis is in those two verses, John 17, verse 25 and verse 26. Now, let me take you to an incredible passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he chose us. Not only did he love us before the foundation of the world, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Wow. So God anticipated the fall of the whole human race the contamination that would pass to us, our unacceptability in the sight of God, how it would technically, legally separate us from him forever. But he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be. He made a way for this to miraculously happen, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, Love covers the multitude of sins that have been in your life, my life, everyone's life. Wow. That you could be holy in the sight of God and love worked that miracle for you. You never could have done it by religious works. Then verse 5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, so he didn't feel coerced into doing this because we were desperately asking him to. It's his good pleasure. And then here's the powerful verse. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And if you go to your Bibles, you'll see the word beloved is capital B. It's a reference first to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the body. And we are in Christ. We are in him. If we've accepted him as Lord of our lives, then he's the head of our lives and the head of the body of Christ. And all that he is passes down to us as an inheritance. So he has made us accepted in the beloved. 
And how did he do that? By grace, which is unmerited love. That means you didn't earn this position. It came to you because of the unmerited love of God. I don't really like one word in this statement because it's too mild. It doesn't really convey the original Greek at all. And it's the word accepted, that God accepts us. That almost sounds like he tolerates us. Well, if I have to, I'll accept you into my presence. Just because you've claimed the redemption available at the cross, I guess I'll have to open the door to receive you. I accept you. It almost sounds like God doing something because he's legally constrained to by his own promises. But if you go to the original Greek, the word that is translated accepted is a word only used twice in the Bible. It's the word karito. It's C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O. And it means an exceptional expression of grace. Charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, is the word translated grace, unmerited love. But karito is C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O. It's a related word, and it means an abundant expression of grace. I told you it's only found two times in Scripture. The other time is in the Annunciation, or what's been called the Annunciation, where Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to have the Son of God. She was going to bear him in her womb and bring him forth to the world to redeem the world. And what Gabriel said is, Hail, you who art highly favored. And the word translated highly favored is karito. And so it was used in reference to Mary. She was highly favored. She received an abundant measure of grace to be the mother of the Son of God. But it's also a word referencing you. Because see, Mary was highly favored because she carried Jesus for nine months in her womb. But you are highly favored because you carry the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity in your hearts. And of course, Mary became a partaker of that portion of the promise too, because she was born again in the upper room along with all the other disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would word this a little differently, that he hasn't just made us accepted in the beloved, he's made us recipients of the abundant grace of God overflowing with favor in our lives to position us with him in this relationship of love with the Father, where we are beloved of the Most High God to such degree, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. When you get a revelation of that love, I guarantee you, you'll realize that you can face anything in life victoriously. And like Paul in Romans chapter 8, you'll say, I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So remember, according to God's word, you are referred to as his beloved. But it's not an ordinary measure of love. It's an eternal love. 
and that love will be with you forever. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.